Is the PS3 retro yet? All this and more on this week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Mobile for 50 years. The PS3 is retro. And if you disagree, you're wrong. And get lost. <laughs> All this and more coming up on today's show. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Hello, chaps. We've got four of us joining us today. Um, a new face. Five. Sorry, five? Oh, five, because we've got Johnny there as well. Sorry, Johnny. I didn't I didn't mean to miss Johnny out. Uh, we're joined today by Al, also known as Zypho, who is one of the most important CPC YouTubers in the world. I must say that I didn't, no, I didn't write this. The most, the most. Who wrote, right, so Dave, you wrote this. So according to Dave, he is the most important CPC YouTuber in the world. He's been doing it for 14 years with what started as a Just Play um recording of a game on YouTube, which turned into his excellent long play and review videos. In these, he doesn't just play a game through, he plays it through to completion, in fact, so you don't just get to see the, the early levels. He plays the whole game, reviews it, comments on it, gets hold of the people who developed it sometimes and takes a really deep dive into these. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful archive of Amstrad CPC reviews, amassing over 190 in total now over those 14 years. Wonderful channel. Welcome, Zypho. Wow, what an intro. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> it's great to have you here. You you do your reviews. You also do some streaming. Um, you are a prolific streamer. Is it five nights a week you stream? Yeah, pretty much at the moment. Yeah, five nights a week. As my, uh, That's pretty much my schedule. <laughs> so I'm a very, very tired man, generally. <laughs> well, it, it doesn't show on the stream. So um, Al's, uh, th there will be links to Al's YouTube channel and Twitch stream on the show notes. If you want to go and subscribe, give him a big TWIR hug. Uh, but more importantly, forget all this Amstrad stuff, Marbles on stream. That's where oh. the action's at. <laughs> <laughs> just describe marbles on stream for somebody that doesn't know what it is we do love our balls i've, I've seen you i've seen you on there rolling your balls as well uh, neil a few times Velo joins in a bit as well don't you dave yes um yeah it's our little community game um once a week um it seems to have grown in popularity playing with our balls once a week um it's just a silly thing we do. Um, you join in, you type exclamation mark, play in the chat, your marble gets joined in a race, you roll your marble down the track, and the winner gets to play their song choice. And it seems to grow in popularity, and it's very silly. Yeah, because it's fantastic. The, uh, the song choices can be quite... Um, <laughs> Um, amusing, fellow. You've uh, yeah, picked, a, I like picked to, a few beauties in your time, haven't you? Yeah, I, I like to get everyone laughing. Uh, it's that 100, 150, 150 streams you've done there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah we just had a 150th celebration last week, so. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Amazing. it's always very entertaining to watch your streams. And um, thank you. I, I think I think we are all Amstrad fans today, aren't we? We are. We've, we've all, we are. You know, Amstrad, I hope so. CPC was my Chris, first. Uh, I think Chris, Dave's what, what's well. that? What's that on your desk, Chris? Yeah, what's that on your desk there? This is the Amstrad Plus Three. I'm sure you're all familiar. Yeah, with that's that. right. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Well, who made it? Am Amstrad made that. Yeah, they yep. did. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's a yeah. fantastic job they did too. And my first PC was an Amstrad as well. And there I do go. actually have a lot of respect for the CPC. So, yeah. 
There you go. Yeah, they took, they took the spectrum and made it wider, of course. <laughs> yes, <laughs> as they did with everything. <laughs> and uh, I had you in mind this week, um, Al, because I was doing a lot of work refurbishing the cave building and um, putting up new displays. And I've put up a dedicated Amstrad shrine. So these pictures will appear um, on the show. Thank you, Duncan, if you're watching the video. And if you scroll through the show notes, Al, you can see my shrine to Amstrad. I've got the CPCs there, the 464-6128, the 664 We've got um, the emailer phone, which comes with its own dedicated joypad for playing those Z80 games. Uh, <laughs> this is a GX4000. Um, yeah, my little Amstrad shrine. And the 664 on there is gorgeous. That belongs to our volunteer, Derek, who's loaned it to me. And the keys are still fabulously blue because they're notorious for fading. Um, that's probably the most pristine 664 I've ever seen. So there you go, my shrine to Amstrad. Excellent. You can see my little shrine behind me, of course. I've got my 664 there. Yeah. Got burning rubber on the GX running there behind me. So I'm very impressed, Neil. Fantastic. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I hope you can get down to, to see it someday. I would love to. I would love to. Now, Chris, I think you've got some news before we go into Dave's housekeeping. <laughs> I've been press ganged into quickly just, yeah, for those of you in Perth, the uh, next Perth Amiga users group meet is coming up. So that's our ninth meet. Saturday, 27th of May in the Manning Community Centre. Half price entry, $10 per person. Uh, and basically, Perth is a small, you know, it's what the most um, isolated city on the planet, pretty much. And we've accidentally become the biggest Amiga meet in the whole of Australia. Um, we're not quite sure how. I think it's because there's nothing else to do in Perth. So, yep, if you're into retro, do come along because it's not just Amigas. It's pretty much everything. So, yep. That's my job done. <laughs> there we go. That's Saturday, the 27th of May, the Perth Amiga user group. That's Perth, Australia, not Perth, Scotland. $10 entry <laughs> per person. Be Try disappointed turning up there anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to ask Al about his uh, arcade cabinet that's sitting behind him. You can't have it on screen not ask him about it. Oh, sure. Tell us about Star Wars. Have you have you had a shot of it yet? Is it, are you enjoying it? Of course. I've been on it for the last two weeks. Um, this is my new acquisition over there. Um, so Arcade One Up, obviously, it's a company that's a bit of a bone of contention for some people in the community. Um, you either love it or hate them. Um, and I absolutely love this thing. So this is my 40th birthday present. Um, I was 42 years ago, so I've waited <laughs> a long damn time for it. Um, so Star Wars, um, Atari Star Wars is my favorite game of all time. So I was desperate to get this thing. There's no way I can afford the real thing. Uh, what 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 do they cost these days? Oh, Three thousand, yeah. five thousand pounds for stand up one. A few thousand pounds, and then you've got the constant fear of that color vector monitor failing. And, mm, exactly. And to look after it. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, arcade one up has come up a few times on our show in the past, and it's all about context at home mm. with mm. the needs that you have. Perfect. If you're paying for a ticket to go to a vintage arcade museum, you'd be pretty disappointed if you saw them. Um, so it's, it's all about context, <laughs> really. But how are you getting on with the yoke? How does it perform there? I really like it. Um, so I was secretly really scared uh, about it. Would I, would, would I be really disappointed? Because I've hammered the real thing. At every time I've gone to a Play Expo Blackpool or the Manchester one, First thing I do, I go straight to the Star Wars cab and just sit on it for hours and hours as much as possible and just play the damn thing. That's all I want to do when I go to those things. So I've had plenty of experience playing on the 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 the, the metal yokes. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, I like it. It's mm -hmm. nice. Um, and it's plastic. 
It's not the same as the real thing, but it it performs. It's it's really nice. It's light. It, uh, and to be honest with you, after playing on the metal yoke at Play Expo Blackpool for about several hours at the after party, um, it hurt my hand after a while. And mm. I I've played on this for like hours and hours um, at home, and it felt comfortable. It's nice. It's light. The test will be, will it survive um, for weeks, months, years, yeah. whatever? So it'll be, it'll, we'll have to see if it stands the test of time. Yeah. But it plays perfectly for me. Great. For me. Well, time, time will tell. Dave, how many hours have you clocked up with your yoke? Well, I finally got it configured last night. Ah. So this is the first time I used my yoke last night. I went a different way. Instead of buying the arcade one up, because we, we covered this as a story a few weeks ago, um, actually a few months ago now, I bought the GRS standalone yoke. Yeah. And it, it, it's metal. And I finally got it configured to work last night, played through it, remember, reminding myself of how quickly the difficulty ramps up in the game. It lulls you in with the first level. This is dead easy. And the second level, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> um, and it's the full metal yoke. And my, my wrists were tired after two or three games, but it does work. I'm delighted with it. And if your one breaks, you can always save up and buy a, a replacement yoke eventually. Can yeah. the, at least you can keep the machine going. But yeah, I'll, I'll give Duncan a picture to put up on on the screen of what I did instead. But you bought that at the same time as I bought the yoke, and um, I've always right. been keen to find out how you go on with it because it, it is my favourite uh, arcade game as well. And I, I can also replace that with your yoke, basically. So there are mods you can do. Do to you know it. my address? <laughs> Not your specific one, Dave. <laughs> you like a threat there. No. <laughs> I just. Add... If you ever get bored of it, I'll take it off your hands. <laughs> I'll just add to this. Um, if you, if you haven't watched the latest video on Alex's channel, Arcade Archive, he goes to visit uh, a chap with the most incredible arcade collection. Oh, yeah. I've seen it. Even yeah. more impressively, yeah. the workshop where he's created a one-to-one replica of the sit-down Star Wars cabinet, mm. so perfectly replicated that you can swap yeah. in original parts in and out. It's incredible. Yeah. So Arcade Archive, go and check out his his latest video on that channel. It's your favourite part of the show. Is there any housekeeping to be had? This week in housekeeping, I would like to welcome eight new patrons. So thank you very much. Eight, eight. Uh, to Johan, to Steve, to Derek, to Daniel, to Trevor, to Brad, to Jennifer, and of course, Dr. J, PhD in Moon Bunnies. What? Thank you very much for signing up to support us at um, patreon.com slash This Week in Retro. Um, also, last week I asked you if you'd like to submit a review to your podcam. Pod, podcam? What's a podcam? <laughs> <laughs> a podcast application of choice. Uh, and um, we got a review from Matt1610 at Apple Podcasts, and it starts, just as I watched Saturday morning TV in my early years, this has become my staple Saturday morning ritual. Pure class and experts, 
we're not experts uh, that are old enough to be experts. We are old enough, but still manage to be fresh. There's nothing fresh about us. But thanks very much, Matt, for your kind review. We do appreciate these reviews that help it help other people uh, discover the podcast. Where if you have the opportunity to go and do one, then go and do one today. Thank yeah, you. Thank you, Matt. And thank you to all the new mm. patrons. I did notice some of those joined our Discord channel as well. Um, because they appear with pink names if they're if they're patrons if they're twirlers magenta they special <laughs> sorry magenta so we know that they've joined us and they're chatting away in there so thank you to our new patrons should we go into our stories this week yes we shall listener G seven VFY submitted our first story this week which links to the BBC news a uh, segment they're celebrating fifty years since the first mobile phone call took place in the wild that's cell phones to our American friends in fact. Um, what is the geographical split on mobile versus cell phones? Does anyone here know? Is, is cell phones purely a North American thing? It's mobile in Australia, mobile phones. Yeah. yeah. Scotland, Dave, do you have mobile phones up there? Um, we got them in last week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then proceeded to deep fry them all. <laughs> we probably invented them. We invented everything. We probably invented mobile phones. Haggis net. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the first ever mobile phone call was made by Marty Cooper of Motorola. And he's in the video on this BBC article talking about that, which was a phone call which was rather brilliantly made in the middle of New York City. He pulled out his phone book, uh, looked up the number for, for his counterpart, at his competitors, Bell Laboratories. And he phoned him up. He picked up and he told him that he'd beaten him. He'd pipped him to the post in getting a mobile phone to work. So that must have been a pretty gutting call for him and um yeah marty cooper still celebrates it to this day when he's interviewed so uh, yeah um he made this call in april of 1973 using what you can imagine was quite a chunky phone it is recognizable as a mobile but it you know it wasn't tethered to a huge battery or anything like that if you were lucky with this phone you could get a 30 minute battery life out of it and that was after a 10 hour charge time so um pretty early days of this technology what happened next was not so much a revolution because the infrastructure didn't exist. The technology was expensive and cumbersome and the cost of the service would have restricted it to the very well off. But it didn't take a genius to know that this was the future. We wanted our Star Trek communicators. My first memories of such a service would be linked to car phones, I think, and yuppies of the 80s um, in London, although yuppie was a term that was used in America as well and other parts of the world. But we, I remember the yuppies all over the news in the in the late 80s and early 90s, seeing new, news stories of them splashing their cash um, with their fancy cars and their car mobiles. And then my first mobile phone probably came around 96 or 97, I think. It would have been a top-up contract Um so I would have had to yeah, top that up and it would have charged per text message as well as per call. I think the brand was either Sagem or Sagem, Sagem or Thompson. Dave? That's a terrible brand of phone. You should be ashamed oh, of yourself. Well, it was all I could afford. I couldn't afford a Motorola back then, that's for sure. It was a pretty cheap phone. Definitely wasn't, yeah, definitely wasn't a Motorola. Um, it had a flip down bit of plastic. It wasn't like the fancy um, Matrix phone that, you know, clunked down at the bottom. It was just a bit of plastic that flapped open, an aerial that pulled up. It worked perfectly fine without pulling the aerial up. I think that was just for show, as was the, the bit of plastic. It didn't do anything. But, um, you know, it worked. It was my entry into um, mobile phones. Combine that with passing my driving test the same year and getting my first car. That was a 1982 Ford Escort Gold with a beige interior, manual That's choke. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> Four <Yeah>. gears. <laughs> so I got my phone, got my car, 
freedom had arrived for me. So that was a good year. So I don't think there can really be any argument about the impact of the mobile phone. So let's talk a little bit maybe about our personal memories. Um, what was your first experience? Was it a phone? Did you start earlier with a pager? Uh, Dave, let's start with you. I don't remember ever even seeing anyone with a pager. I don't think they caught on here the same way they did in America. I think if you watch if you watch TV and film from a, a, a certain period in America, everyone's got a pager. But I remember my dad bringing home a Motorola mobile phone from work, and that's the first one I saw. Um, he never even used a computer in his working life. He was a bank manager, never used a computer, managed to avoid it, and he hated the idea of having a mobile phone. And I explained how it worked and got it charging and all the rest of it, but he deliberately let the charge run down so he didn't need to use it. Um, I did get one myself. Um, I think it was a Nokia 3110, which is the big black junky ones with the aerial permanently fixed to the top, the ones that everyone had. Um, except me. Yeah, except Neil, who had his, um, <laughs> his poverty phone. My first moment. Um, but they weren't expensive. I don't think they were expensive. I'm sure they were. All of a sudden, they were they were really easy to, really cheap to get hold of in a contract. Um, but I remember, I, I I grew up without. I'm old enough that I grew up without the phone. So when I was a teenager and I was a, a young adult going out and drinking and all the rest of it, didn't have a mobile phone, and you'd be meeting friends here, there, or wherever, and you'd arrange it in the house on the landline and you'd go out the house, get on the train and go to meet them and that was it. And you'd know where you're telling them, I'm late, I've missed the train, whatever. You just had to do it. And there was never, I don't remember there being any problems. I don't remember ever having a difficulty. Um, yeah, I, 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 can you imagine leaving the house now without your mobile phone? You'd turn back and go and get it. They just wouldn't do it. Um, In part because think, my, my car stereo doesn't really do much without the mobile phone oh yeah, these days. Yeah, I need it to stream yeah. music and listen to yeah. podcasts. It's insane how tethered we have to be to it. But I think SMS from phones has, has led us to where we got today with instant messaging, with Discord, with WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, etc. And we might not actually send that many SMS now. It goes through these other services instead, but they're, they're the legacy. And I think most people prefer now messages to phone calls. If someone phones you, the first thing you go, who's phoning me and why are you phoning me? Like, what is it? People prefer messages now. Yeah, I do find I do have noticed with a, a younger generation that picking up the phone is often the last thing they want to do. Um, yeah. Much more happy to use instant messaging. Can be frustrating sometimes. Um, Al, what's your experience? Can you remember your first phone? <laughs> yeah, I think it's similar to Velo's. I think mine was a Nokia six one one zero. I had to have a look through Google image mm -hmm. searches this morning and spent a good 10 minutes having a good look through. <laughs> but it was the chunky black plastic one with the stubby area all out the top. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember my parents forced me to keep this in there. A horrendous old man's carry pouch, uh, carry pouch sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I had to clip it onto my belt to walk around with it like a complete nerd. I was going to ask, did anyone yeah. else have a belt clip? Because I had a Nokia communicator at one point and I had a belt clip and I thought I was the bee's knees. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'll carry on. <laughs> yeah. No, but my overriding memory, it, it, it coincided with teenage angst. So uh, I got it when I was about ooh, 15, 14, 15, and it coincided with my first girlfriend. So it was around the time of like text messaging and 
being excited for those text messages to come through mm-hmm. and then and on the flip side of, of the yanks of like oh she hasn't texted me in an hour and what's going on and all that mm-hmm. kind of like heartache and devastation and all that kind of stuff so yeah oh. so that's 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 intrinsically linked with with phones with your first phone for me so yeah. Heartache, 100, was it 140 characters in an SMS? What was the limit? I can't remember now. Am I, confusing, that. Like that? Am I confusing that with Twitter? Anyway, there was a limit. Um, there was a limit. Twitter yeah. is basically the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Did you, ever, do you ever, ever have a flip phone, Al? Oh, yes, yes, the Motorola Razor. But that was actually oh. a lot later. I was Googling it later. That was uh, 2005. Okay. Yeah, I had one of those. That's it wasn't slidey, no, but it was a really nice looking phone. It was like, ooh, someone, someone will have to insert an image of that of that later. Yeah, I had one of those. Yeah. I loved that. Mm. What were you doing, Dave? Dave's making sort of a butterfly motion. I was mo- mocking <laughs> Chris. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> um, Chris, tell us about your memories. Yeah, well, we've been talking about flip phones and slide phones, actually, so I just do want to jump in with the, you know, the Matrix phone, which you mentioned, Neil, which in the film, the, the, the bottom seems to automatically come down. The That's reality right. was it didn't. It didn't. You had to flick it down with, because my boss had one. He had that same model, and you had to flick it down with your little finger. They didn't. There wasn't a model that automatically flicked down. They just made sure it look. Oh, yeah. Sure oh, yeah. Oh, oh, Is he lost the no, spring no. or something? No, seriously. Seriously. This mm. is how it was. And people can correct me in the comments, but I know they won't. Um, and they just <laughs> made it look so cool in the movie. But the reality was you had to actually flick it with your finger for it to come down like that. But yeah, my, my personal mobile phones, it was one of those weird things because they started to emerge and it's like, eh, don't really need one of those. What's the point? You know, at the time, I didn't need one. And it was my first visit to Australia, um, which is when I got married, which is 1996. And I saw someone on this corner street outside of a pub in Carnarvon anybody that knows Western Australia knows Carnarvon is literally the middle of nowhere you might as well be on Mars is that like Wales (laughs) it might be Wales Uh, yes Carnarvon is in Wales but it's also in Western Australia everything in Western Australia everything in Australia is named after something in the British Isles that's the that's the reality it's it's either an Aboriginal name or it's a British name and that's you know give or take that's what it is but anyway, and I saw this guy as we were driving past in the car. I saw this guy talking on his phone. And obviously, phones were a thing. 1996, they weren't new. But it was just this, it just really struck me. I was in the middle of nowhere, literally on another planet. Literally, you, you walk 10 minutes in the wrong direction, and you're in the middle of the bush in this place. And there was this guy having a conversation out on the street. And that actually, that's when I realized this was a serious technology. If it can reach here, it can reach anywhere. Um, I can't remember what year I got my first phone. What I do know is I bought it off a mate at work and it was some Motorola that was just a brick with an extendable aerial um, and I had absolutely zero need for it. Like I bought it just because it was the thing to do and because I could get a prepaid SIM card. But to this day, I don't know why I had it at that point in my life. And I followed that up. So the reverse, I didn't get a pager first, but I did actually have a pager because I had seen these pager watches you could get. They were like a nice analog face with a a digital LCD in the middle, and that was the pager. That was where the messages would come up. And they just looked so James Bond, uh, but they were really expensive. But then one of the girls at work had some magically for sale. To this day, I don't know if they came off the back of a lorry. (laughs) I'm really not sure. (laughs) But I picked one up, and again... 
I had absolutely zero need for it. Nobody ever sent me a, a page, even though I, you know, obviously handed out oh. the number. Yeah. I know, but those are, those are my those are my early, my very early mobile phone memories. Yeah. Yeah, pages were interesting. My brother had one for a while and you'd have to phone the service and read mm. your message to a, a human who would then send it out. And I think that, that used different technology to mobile phones, didn't it? I'm pretty sure it used yeah. radio rather I don't know. possibly. I don't I, know. I think Maybe that's just in hospitals. Butterflies. I don't know, send I don't know butterflies enough. And they... we, it's butter, we said at the top of the show <laughs> that we're not experts. Um, so uh, pages, pages sounds such an American thing though, doesn't it? Yeah. Beeper? Yeah. Would we call it Beeper. a Beeper? Yeah. Beeper. Yeah. Or was it Beeper um, in America and Pager in the UK? I, I, I remember calling them Pagers. I remember Pagers. I, I've never heard of the Pager in a watch, so I'll have to look no, that it up. No, it was a cool a thing. On me. It was a very so cool it sounds thing. cool. Going back to our story, the, the, the uh, original caller, Marty, um, he has commented on what he thinks about modern mobile phones, and in the story he says that a slab of glass that you hold against your face doesn't make any sense. It should be curved to the curvature of the face, in his opinion course that would make it difficult to slip into your pocket as well so that the, there are reasons mobile phones have developed in the way they have and evolved for a reason so um, yeah i mean it's insane how connected we are i remember a time before i had a mobile phone when i had a girlfriend who went to america for three months on a placement the only time i could speak to her was once a week when she was at the telephone that i could call her on and that was normal and that was fine it, it's there is a certain amount of um phone anxiety these days and i tried to break that a couple of years back when i bought myself the new nokia i think it was the re-released 3110 or the 3210 or whatever they called it disconnected myself from all online services and i really did enjoy that disconnect once i got used to it but then when i came to use things like um just simple things like parking in a car park where they don't take contactless payment, they don't take coins, you've got a phone or you've got to use an app. Just more and more, I found life was just impossible to, to bear without a mobile phone to get these things done. Whether that improves the quality of life or not is fiercely debatable, I think. We're still evolving the applications as well as the phones, but they're certainly here for the long term and um, another 50 years at least before a phone probably evolves into something that is just a universal device um, that we dock and use. Um, I don't know where the phone is going next. That's an interesting discussion point. Where is the phone going next? Will we still call anymore? things that are no longer phones? Will we yeah. still call them phones even when that name is name has no bearing in what they actually do? Yeah. Yeah. What, mm. what will we Good call points. them? Yeah. Hmm. On that note, phones, we'll call them phones. Hmm. let's move on to our sponsorship slot. We are sponsored, thank you very much, by... Pixel Addict Magazine. Pixel Addict is a monthly magazine which comes out every six weeks. Um, I'm just finishing up this month's one because next month, next day, week, we should have an idea of what's coming out in the next issue. But this uh, this last issue, I've been looking at the section on Broken Sword, which is a series of adventure games I've not played, but they're on a shelf. I've been looking forward to playing them. And there's a little, almost like a preview article on it, which was nice. Uh, there's also an article I'm reading on Archer McLean remembering him and an article on the Northwest Computer Museum. Have you had a reporter in the cave yet to do a report on a cave day, Neil? Um, I've had a, 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 a segment on the cave in the magazine, but not nobody actually come here to, to cover the cave. So, um, mm. yeah, more than happy if you want to come to our next patron day and yeah. report back. Send a roving reporter. We'll look after them. We'll buy them lunch fluff them up, and uh, make sure they say good things. What's your favourite article, Al? Article? What, sorry? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Dave, I think I tuned out there. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Edit that out. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> you can buy Pixel. You can buy Pixel Addict magazine at pixel.addict.media. You can buy a PDF. You can order a subscription that delivers to your house, or you can go to your newsagent where you can find it there. That website address again, Al. Oh, am I supposed to read you this out? Pixel.addict.media. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't know I was supposed to be reading this out. Sorry. Dr. Local has submitted a story, and I love how provocative the story is. It's an article on Push Square where Rory Cocker builds an argument that starts by noting that the PS3 is now 17 years old and is now as old as the SNES, or if you're in America, the snares was in 2006. Um, so before we go any further, just a single word from yes or no, nothing else. Is the PS3 retro, Chris? No, but it will be soon. Neil, one, one word. Oh, Neil. no. No. Al? No. Ooh, I've got to fight my hands then. Um, <laughs> The article isn't just lazy rage bait. Uh, there's too much of that about, but it's not just that. It has some depth to it. And here's a bit of it. Um, so it got me thinking, what does retro actually mean? Is it defined by something as arbitrary as the number of years that have passed since a thing's release? Or is it more to do with a certain aesthetic or design philosophy? For me personally, it definitely goes beyond superficial aspects like audiovisual presentation. It's more to do with the actual design philosophies that were present, or rather forced, during those early years of home video games where limited hardware power naturally meant more simplistic experiences. To me, today's biggest games often feel like much more expansive, more refined versions of what we were playing during the sixth generation of consoles. And for, I, to explain that, if you're not a console person, you might not know what that means, but the sixth generation is 128-bit consoles, like the original PlayStation 2, the Dreamcast, the GameCube, and the Xbox. Um, so back to what you were saying, this was the last true paradigm shift in terms of game development and what was actually possible. And so it feels like a natural cutoff. Now, I think that's absolutely correct. There was that last paradigm shift where you got games like Morrowind, for example, is still fundamentally the same type of game as Skyrim. And we're going to see a new Elder Scrolls coming out soon. It'll still be still the same fundamental type of game. So I think he's right about that was a last paradigm shift. And the PlayStation 3 has come out since then. So the PlayStation 3 is definitely not in that in that terms of retro. Um he then builds on that by saying that anything from the PS2 onwards, he struggled to call retro, and I think that's right. Um, but I want to pick up with something that he said near the start of the article. He said he's just turned 30, so he's about 15 years younger than us, us old Rex. Now, the first micro in my house was when I was nine years old, and it was a BBC micro we had over the summer that my mum borrowed from the school. And then later that year, we got a CPC for Christmas. 12 or 13 years after that, in the late 90s, I was playing with emulators. I was playing with arcade emulators, and I think I was playing with a CPC emulator around the same time. Uh, and that was the late 90s. So if the late 90s was what I, I... We didn't call it retro then. I don't think the word was called retro then, but it certainly was retro. 
Um, so it, it, if the age thing was all that mattered, then 12 or 13 years is enough for it to be considered retro if the age thing is all that matters. And I think I've, I think I've explained why it's probably not. Um, but before I draw my own conclusion, let's go around the other host. So let's start with Neil. So is the PC, PS3 retro? Where's the cutoff? What do you think, Neil? Well, on your question of retro, I used to listen to a podcast called Retro Gaming Radio, which started in 1998. So retro was certainly being banded about um, in this context ah, in the 90s. I'd never heard it being called that before, but the, the term podcast hadn't even been coined when when it was out and you listened to it on real player, but it was it was a podcast in every other sense of the way. Dot RM. Yeah. Um, should we focus on when a console came out or when it reached its end of life? Because if you look at the PS3, its end of life was 2017. So it's only been gone for six years, technically, from the shelves. And then a, a further search this morning suggests that a game called Shakedown Hawaii was the last game released for it in 2020. So I can't call that retro. I can call something that came out in 2020 retro. Surely. Um uh, last week in this new area of the cave, which I'm sat in, by the way, I'm no longer in front of a green screen. This is the, the lab area I've been working on. And just in front of me over there, I've, I've set up a PlayStation 2 for the first time for people to um, come and play. Dave? You're the lab area of the of there. Does your desk do anything nice? Oh, let me show you. My desk goes up. <gasps> Look at that. It goes up really high. It's going to hit the microphone, so I'm going to take it back down. Oh, my desk goes down. You go, I've got a, a motorized desk, which is going to be ideal. Thanks for asking, Dave. Um, <laughs> over that PlayStation 2 set up for people to enjoy. People were playing it this weekend. And I've got a rather beautiful, so I'll, I'll get a picture for Duncan to splice in. It's a 16-inch widescreen Sony telly. It's the smallest widescreen telly you've ever seen, but it's perfect for this space for playing PlayStation 2 on. So, yeah, PlayStation 2, firmly retro. That came out in 2000, but even that was still produced until 2013. That had quite a long run. So um, what, what I'm saying is, I, I think with that, is that 10 years since end of life, that's pretty comfortable um, to call retro. Or should we focus on the date that it came out? I mean, where, where, do, we, where do we sit with this? Any thoughts, guys? Uh, uh, if you want to look at Brazil and, and what they've done with Sega, are they not still making it there? I know that China the still makes system. Nintendo stuff. Mm. Um, I know that Russia kept going with Spectrum stuff for years afterwards. So I, I, I think you, you, you're going to really struggle to find any hard and fast definition. I think if you try and write down any rules, then someone can easily pick them apart. Mm. I mean, if you aren't, aren't they clones though? Well, that's Brazil tech toy. So they are officially licensed in Brazil. Not so much. Not so much with the Famiclones clones in China and Russia. No tech toy. Not so much. No, not at all. <laughs> No, no, not so much yeah not quite not at all in any way whatsoever but i think really the decision of as to whether something's retro or not is is made easier by whether or not you bought one back in the day so i did buy a ps2 and i can delve into my own memory banks of being a much younger man a man that didn't groan with aches and pains when he got out of bed in the morning i'd moved on from my ford escort i had a red rover 25 with alloy wheels oh. um i had a couple of jobs since uh, and a decent paycheck and I treated myself to a PlayStation 2 and a 24-inch widescreen TV. CRT still at that point. It wasn't flat screen. Um, so when you can remember the time and the place and the feelings that were triggered when you bought a console back in the day, it's hundreds of times easier to call it nostalgic or call it retro, in my opinion. Mm, well, I had some thoughts before um, uh, we came on to do this recording and then 
Neil's kind of sort of changed maybe how I'd feel actually <laughs> a little bit. Good. It's all it's um, all meant to be thought provocative, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I didn't really consider uh, like the releases on a system and, and the last commercial release. Myself and um an old work colleague had this discussion probably about a decade ago, ten years ago. Hello Wayne, if you're watching by the Hi, way. Hi Wayne. Hi. He's a and one morning, he, he was a developer at work, a very, very smart guy. And we had a very quiet morning at work and we had a long discussion. We pulled out whiteboards, wheeled them in, we drew <laughs> diagrams and drew timelines of consoles. We had tried to work this out. What, what is the definition of retro and all this kind of stuff? We spent hours arguing about it and all this kind of stuff. And we couldn't really come up with a good definition. Um, the nearest we came to one was kind of roughly what Neil was talking about and other things and we came to rough conclusion is i mean is it no longer commercially available for for sale and can you i think the one thing we came up with is can you comf comfortably emulate it on a current low to mid spec pc mm. and that's about the only thing we could kind of both of us and other people roughly agree on. Right. But this was like 10 to 12 years ago. So almost like, do you need the original hardware to be able to enjoy this? Or can you just enjoy it on you know, mm. pretty cheap modern hardware through emulation? That's quite a nice definition. I like where you're going with that. Possibly, yeah. But with other criteria, is it no longer commercially available? Is there no commercial releases? I'm going to add that in as well. Mm -hmm. Like you said, is because you... You rightfully said there was a PS2 release in 20... 2020. Yeah. 2020. So maybe you need to add a caveat that there must be a 10-year gap of the <laughs> last commercial release or something. But no, a, a low to mid-spec PC can comfortably emulate... Uh, there must be an emulation software out there that could completely emulate that system on a low to mid-spec PC. But this is talking 10 to 12 years ago. And I think maybe th times have changed now and things mm. have changed. Maybe that doesn't hold as hold up as much. But that was our kind of definition we came to agreement on about 10 years ago. Mm. I don't know what you chaps think to that. Is that a retro agreement then? <laughs> <laughs> retro agreement, yeah. <laughs> Chris, what do you think? Uh, it's an interesting topic. I mean, I won't get into semantics of the meaning of the word retro versus nostalgia versus classic versus vintage because we've we've been down that rabbit hole before. Um, but the PS3 is an interesting system in itself because if you talk about the original FAT system, as in the the one with the four um, USB ports on the front, that's fully backwards compatible. That's actually the one to get. So the original FAT system, four USB ports, can play PS1, PS2, PS3 games. So just from a collector's point of view, um, that, that, that that's a rare version of the PS3, and it enables you to start collecting games for systems that definitely are retro, Neil. But that, that if we go back to Zypho's definition on his whiteboard, that's mm. doing it through emulation because the PS3 had the cell processor, didn't it? It was a different processor to the PS2. So it was comfortably emulating the PS2. Does that mean the PS2 was retro from the day the PS3 came out? <laughs> Somebody will have to correct me in the comments, but I believe the original FAT with the four ports, they actually did it through hardware, so they included the chipsets from the previous oh, they did, two. Did they? 
I okay. might be wrong. I might be wrong, but I think that's what makes it so special. So they, very, they maybe had the CPU handling sound machine. or something on another yeah. part of the machine and then tapped yeah. into that. Okay. It's a, it's a very special machine. But in terms of what's retro or, or what's vintage or whatever, or uh, the word I'm going to use is nostalgic, um, it's a moving window of time. I don't think you can set it by, and I, I'm, yeah, I'm going to be firm on this. I, th- I think I do have an answer to that question. You'd be firm, and it's Chris. not, and it's not. I'm oh, going to be firm, um, and it's not about you know when there was a, a giant leap in in technology or whatever. It's literally about your own life. Um, and if you look at the price of systems and stuff like that, they become worthless at about the 15 to 20 year period. And then they magically become valuable at about the 30 year period. And that's down to one thing, people becoming middle-aged and wanting their childhood back. Um, and having and I don't disposable care, income. And having disposable income. And I don't care if that's computer games. I don't care if it's cassette players or cars or furniture or whatever, the same trend and music. The same trend remains true. So, so that that's my take on that. Um, and I think in terms of the PS3, and I'll include the Xbox 360 in this as well, I think now's the time to collect for those systems. Partially, A, those systems aren't really um, hindered by the fact that you have to be online to play the games. They, they, they are self-contained. Um, most titles will just run off the disc. That's all you need is the console and the disc to be able to enjoy the game. Um, and I absolutely love both both of them, the PS3 and the Xbox 360. Um, but the PS3, that's what we're talking about here. Games of note for me, because um, I had a PS3 um, when they came out. Resistance Fall of Man, fantastic first-person shooter, um, sort of just post-Second World War, but with an alien invasion thrown in. Part of it based in Somerset. Great game. Um, Mod Nation. Seriously, Mario Kart has nothing on Mod Nation. It's a ripoff of Mario Kart, but it is infinitely better, and it has the best track editor I've ever seen in a game. Literally, you can sculpt the entire landscape, add all the scenery, add where the weapon pickups and everything are. And we had great fun as a family, um, myself, my wife, and the twin boys, We'd in the week you had to make your own track, and then come the weekend when we had family time on the PS3, we'd drive each other's tracks and see who could win. Nice, fantastic game. Um, Test Drive Unlimited two, well, and number one, I'll include in that Battlefield three. By the end of my time with the PlayStation three, it just became the Battlefield three box. That's all yeah. I played on it. A fantastic game, um, and Little Big Planet. You can't go past Little Big Planet. So, yeah, that's me on the PS3. Yeah, I think Test Drive Unlimited, the first one's on the PS2, isn't it? I think I've got it yes, here. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah. that's a fun game, even on the PS2. Um, and yeah. exactly the same as me. I didn't have a PS3, but my friend did around the corner. And all I did was go around there to play Battlefield 3 on his PS3. Mm. That's all we did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if anyone thinks that Chris doesn't play any games, well, they're wrong. That's that's him demonstrating he does play some games. Um, <laughs> Just a couple. As- <laughs> Yeah, as to as to my conclusion, there's two parts to it, but both are purely subjective. It is purely subjective. Um, the first thing is how it feels to play the game. Um, these games, these days, games are pretty much tied to online play. So, like Chris said, with PS3 games, you've got the disc, you put it in, you could be in a a bunker. Uh, a mile under the ground after a nuclear nuclear war and you can still play ps3 games you can't do that with modern games so that that separates them to modern games you've got this capsule of the whole game in your hand there's definitely something about that that's different to modern games and modern games are also pushing you to buy this and buy that and 
do this and do something else and the older games aren't quite so much so that that to me is a difference between there that that might be enough to say this is a, a retro experience but i think what's more important though is that if you're age 25 now then you could have a ps3 when um before you were 10 years old you could have had uh, for you for your christmas before you turned 10 years old you could have got your ps3 for christmas and by the time you were 15 you could have got a ps4 for christmas so for that person that was their first console the first thing they got into and after four or five years they moved on to something else they're now 25 they're now in a ps5 the ps3 for them is a different experience it was a long time ago they were a kid when they got it so for them it's absolutely retro so if it's retro for one person it is it is retro it's retro so there you go the ps3 in my opinion is absolutely retro and there's a huge irony in me saying that because in my own head everything about it is modern it's modern gaming it's it's anything from what from windows xp onwards for me tends to be in my head modern gaming so that for the for, for the ps3 i i struggle to put much in between those games and modern games but for someone else it's definitely retro so there i think it's retro just to jump in there do you think it's mm-hmm. retro to the point where I need to set up a PlayStation Three in the cave for visitors? Would it? Would how it many stick people out of do place? you get? How many people do you get of that age? Do you not tend to get a gap in ages? Do you not tend to get the children of, but mostly people kind of late thirties to mid fifties? If it's retro, it's retro. Age shouldn't shouldn't matter. Well, there you go. Yeah, you have a PS Three then. Yeah. Okay. Noted. Yeah, get get rid of the um, get rid of the amigas. Um, <laughs> now, I I, I you do. You said Amstrad there, didn't you? Did, yeah. <laughs> no, did, yeah. no, that would be blasphemy. <laughs> get the Amstrads. Get more Amstrads. Get rid of the amigas. Um, I do suggest that you go and give the article a read. It's I, I like reading things like that. I like reading things that make you think, and it's not just a let's get you angry and sharing this out of anger thing. There is a poll attached to it, and at the point of writing my notes, the outcome is hanging in the balance of the result of the poll. So I think people must have read the article because I think the instinctive thing when you see it is to say, of course it's not, but it's definitely worth giving it a read. Once again, guys, I've picked a story that isn't a story. It's it's actually a single screenshot um, of a Windows programmer with a map, Uh, and it was shared by... Sybil66 on the subreddit with a simple question. And the question was, does anybody remember using Autoroute before the prevalence of GPS? And Sybil further comments, before anyone had mobiles and GPS maps in their pockets, there was a futuristic piece of software which planned your route and then printed out an itinerary of your journey, uh, of your journey, sorry, Not as good as a GPS today, but a massive leap from the days of having a glove compartment full of maps. Developed by a British company in the late 80s, a sign of things to come. And when I saw this, I instantly wanted to cover this because, yes, Sybil, I do indeed remember using Autoroute. Guys, before I get into this story, do you guys remember it? Did you use it at all? I'm aware of it. I don't remember using it, but I'm definitely, I definitely knew it was a thing. I'm sure I would have seen it demonstrated, or maybe on Tomorrow's World. Yep, I used it um, in typical Microsoft fashion. They they bought it from another company, and I was surprised to learn recently that that, that originally came out in 1988. That first version wow. of uh, wow. Auto Route, so it's older than I realised. Mm. Yeah, 
No, I wasn't aware of it, but I was aware of something else. But I'll come on to that in a little bit when we uh, ah, keeping that. us in suspense. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Mm. What was the alternative to Auto Route? Um, for anybody that doesn't know, Autoroute was a map uh, and travel planning program, uh, initially for DOS and later Windows. Uh, so along with browsing roadmaps, you could basically set a start and end point, uh, and, and the program would basically present you with a nice set of step-by-step intru- instructions on how to arrive safely at your destination uh, and an estimate of the time travel involved. Now, to us now, that sounds like just using Google Maps. Sorry, say that so again, Dave? A TARDIS. Did you say, yeah, time, say travel. time travel? Did I say I time travel? Travel time. Yeah. Travel um, time. Chris had his own yes. special version of auto. <laughs> My special version. Time and you space. can arrive at better. any given year in time, whatever. <laughs> That's how I buy stuff for my collection. I, I just travel back in time using auto route and then bring it back to the future and make a Actually, I still make a loss. Uh, but anyway, it, it just sounds like Google Maps, you know, when you talk about it in, in, the, in the modern day. But this was 100% offline, um, especially in very early versions. So don't think of it in modern terms, but really think of this as as a as a replacement for, or actually I should probably say a supplement for having a map book in your car. Uh, you would plan your route from the comfort of your computer, and you would print off the map and the directions that it generated, and then you take that print out into your car and off you go. Hopefully you've got somebody with you in your car to read it, because otherwise you're just holding bits of A4 paper up in front of uh, the steering wheel, and that's not going to be very very safe. Um, and it was actually really good. It, it was so great, in fact, that in my IT role, I soon found myself printing off travel instructions for myself and for my boss and for sales reps within the company and any other staff that needed instructions of how to get from A to B. You know, in in the 90s, the IT support desk role was a very varied one. Um, I won't go into detail about what I said to one guy who he pushed the limit a bit too far and and dumped the office kettle on my desk because it wasn't working and asked me to fix that. Um, yeah, that did not get fixed. Um, let's put it that way. Um, but the version of Auto Route that I recall, it was a black screen and mostly red roads of Britain on it. Um, and even though we were in the Windows 95 era, maybe it was a – it could be a blurred memory, but maybe it was just an old version that we had access to or that we'd uh, acquired. Um but that, 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 that's how I remember it um, being, black screen and, and red roads. And it did the job for me, um, so long as you didn't get lost. And here's the point, you know, because, of course, this is completely offline. There's no GPS. So if you follow the instructions, that's great. But if you make a wrong turn, well, guess what? It's not going to tell you how to get back on route again, is it? Because <laughs> they're pre-printed instructions. So you really did still need, um, you know, a map book in your car if you got really, really lost and you wanted to get back on route. Um, but guys, you know, did you make use of Auto Route and or similar programs? And what were your early memories of of GPS devices? Before I go into that, you just reminded me of something. You know, when you're driving and you've got your sat nav on, mm. and it says to do something, and you don't do what it says, mm. and you continue up the road. Do you ever imagine a tone in their voice of, right, at the next round, at the next junction, go right, as if, okay, then, fine, we'll do it your way. <laughs> Could do you ever imagine can, that tone? <laughs> can I can, can I make a confession here, right? I, I'm, I'm sure we've all done this when you've got a certain person in the passenger seat giving you directions, right, and, and you've tuned them out, right? 
we've all done this is not or is it just me is this just chris confession time a certain person in the passenger seat and you've tuned out the sound of their voice and then you've missed the turning because they've told you which way to go i do the same with a gps so i set oh. the gps going and i'm listening to its instructions and then i will tune it out I'm like oh, whatever just <laughs> whatever you want i'm not listening anymore and then suddenly i'm lost <laughs> we've, we've noticed that doing the podcast with you for a while we've noticed you do that. <laughs> oh dear moving on dave <laughs> i didn't learn to drive until about 10 years ago um so I, I very rarely had had cause to do it i did use it uh, I did print off instructions from my dad a few times because he's new, not too sharp with these types of things. So I've used a, a free online version to print off directions before we had um, sat-navs and so on. And I've noticed even though his car now has sat-nav built in, he'll still go onto Google Maps and print off directions for himself in the kind of old auto route style. He, I think he still prefers that. He doesn't quite trust the doesn't quite trust that but yeah i didn't learn to drive until about 10 years ago so for me it was all i, I don't care uh, i never really paid much attention to them still cool technology though um yeah i too like velo i was a late starter with driving uh, and then i was even later with like long distances that needed maps so um yeah i just printed stuff off and had it stuck on the uh, driver uh, the passenger seat sorry um, but however, sorry to be uh, that Amstrad guy again. Sorry for the Amstrad. Don't um, apologize. That's why I'm here. Yeah. Uh, but even, I Duncan, was... even Duncan is an Amstrad fan, so you'll be popular with him as well. Oh, excellent. Um, but I was fascinated by another arrival software released on the Amstrad CPC, um, which came out in 1994. Um, it was called uh, Root Planner. That basically did the same thing, but on the um, Amstrad CPC on uh, an 8-bit computer. And if you guys don't mind, uh, I might be able to bring in uh, mm -hmm. a little window of it running. Oh, if you, if okay. you don't mind. Oh, oh, see a live demonstration. Oh, this is I love that blue and yellow witchcraft. If you don't mind, it's going to be just above my head. You guys can see that okay. It's going to be a little bit slow running. Of course, what he's not saying is you needed to own a hearse to fit your Amstrad CPC in while you were driving. <laughs> yeah. Those of you who are listening, um, he's showing us um, a, a screen grab of him live using uh, Root Planner on on an Amstrad. Mm. And Velo, unfortunately, we have to admit some uh, map data here. So unfortunately, I'm going to have to remove the Scottish Highlands from the map of Great Britain here. <laughs> Sorry, Velo. It's, I don't, um, I don't know if you can see. You can, I don't know if you can be able to see this very well, but anyway. Um, so um, I remember seeing this on um, Amsterdam Action Magazine. I think this was issue 108. This, so this would have been September of 1994. And hopefully, your editor can bring in a um, cover of that magazine because it had a very memorable cover advertising this software, which had a cover of a red mini crashing through the. Um, barriers of the cover for mm -hmm. some weird reason not exactly yeah. the best advertisement for the uh, software of a car crashing um and you have the demo of this software on the cover tape as well i'm so just looking at the, the, the cover here and it says will route planner seriously lessen your highway hassle we take the cpc's answer to auto route for a test run so auto route existed at this point and wow. um they're, they're trying to take on auto route with an 8-bit machine in, in uh, 1994, so we would have been Windows 3.1 running auto route at this point on a 
on a um I don't think you'll argue with me if I say a superior platform. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. What we're gonna do, I'm gonna do a little route here for you boys and girls. So we're gonna go from my Notty in my hometown uh to my favourite holiday destination. We're gonna do Bournemouth or something. Mm. There we go. Not Blackpool for for the Norbrick. <laughs> Um, oh, we can do that another time. Anyway, um, always drawing in the rest of the UK. There you go. Can you see that coming in now? So yeah. for listeners, yeah. we've got um, a green background and then a white window in the middle, and it's very slowly drawing the coastline of the UK, having first drawn the main, England. I guess, arteries down the centre, the motorways, and then Zypho's typing in his starting point and his destination at the bottom, and then has it started calculating, or do you have to press something? We're going to do that now. Yeah. So we're going to calculate the fastest route. Um, and then just to the right there, you can see it's a very small clock icon ticking away there. So that is the poor old Amstrad Z80 CPU melting down <laughs> into flames <laughs> as it calculates. So it'll probably take about one to two minutes just to do that. It's amazing. There, so. It's absolutely amazing. This is, Not only did someone think there was a market for this on, on 90, in 1994. 1994, yeah. On the, C, the CPC, I, I moved on from the CPC in Christmas 1998, and I moved on from the ST hmm. in 1992. So I, 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 I was two machines on from this, and they were still doing it on that. But I guess there was still a lot of home. The, the CPC, particularly the 6128, well, I've done it already. But the 6128 was, was used by a lot of small businesses. A lot of home businesses used it. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of uh, enthusiasts still existed, I guess, at the time yeah. as well. I think this costed, costed about £20, I believe. Mm, um, it's made by Richard Fairhurst. He was the uh, technical editor at Amsterdam Action Magazine, actually himself, um, for many, many years. Um, he also did PowerPage, a desktop publishing software as well. Um, I just want to just want everyone to think just how efficient and clever the coding was here, just to fit all the roads. It has junctions, towns, cities, and then all the code and complex algorithms here into 128k of memory. Mm. And then just think how inefficient and bloated our memory usage is on sort of yeah. all the modern platforms mm. and apps and common software we use today. Totally. We managed to get all this in. And there you go. There's all the uh, the roads and Nottingham May four five three. That's really cool. Okay, so it's come up with a list yeah. of instructions, and then presumably you send that off to your dot matrix printer, pop yep. it on your passenger seat, and away you go. That's a great demonstration. Thank you for sharing that with us. That's amazing. Yeah. Brilliant. That's really That's impressive cool. seeing that come out of an eight bit machine. I think I'll just do yeah. one last thing here. We will zoom in very quickly, and you can actually zoom in and show. Oh, it's probably going to be too slow. I'll leave it there if you want, but you can actually zoom in and he will actually show you the um, road, the road names, junctions, towns, and cities. You can zoom in up to about 16 times magnification. Mm. You can do that while Chris is wrapping up. Superb. Well, yeah, yeah um, you can just do it in the background, yeah, while I'm yeah. wrapping okay, up. Okay, I'll do, I'll, I'll do, yeah, I'll do yeah. it in the background. Well, we've, got Neil's, we've got Neil's thoughts to go through as well. So, oh, Neil, okay. while that renders, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, are your, what are your auto memory, auto <laughs> root memories and, yeah. Am I faster than an Amstrad CPC? We'll find out. Um, <laughs> this particular story gives me similar memories to one we were talking about in Carter the other week. So what, when I first used AutoRote, it was standalone. It was an offline program, as you described it. 
and it was presenting a new kind of application to me. So something that I'd never done on my computer or thought about doing on my computer before. Um, like a, It was like an interactive atlas of the country as well as a, a route planner. So I could see my local town, I could zoom in. And when I say I could see my local town, we're not, we're not talking Google Maps and satellite imagery. We're, we're talking blocks of color, a, a gray square for a town, a green square for um, or weird green shape for a f- local woodland or something like that. And um, as you zoom in, it would render in much the same way that um, Al is demonstrating there. It was it was almost like playing a game of world class leaderboard, where it would you would hit your golf ball, go to the next scene, and then it would slowly render on the screen the different the different parts of the scene, uh, the roads overlaid on the the coastline as it appears on the, on the Amstrad there, and that was just fascinating, basic but fascinating to me. And then in later versions, I would actually use it to plan trips. So first of all, I was just you know, here's a new program at Zoom around the country. But then I did use it in earnest. And um, at one point at work, I was given an external Garmin device. It was a, a serial port connection to my laptop with this um, quite chunky handheld, I think it was yellow, um, Garmin GPS unit. So I would turn that on. It would lock onto satellites. I would have all manner of uh, cigarette lighter adapters to power my laptop and to power this thing, keep it going. The passenger seat was probably at the point of catching fire from the heat of the laptop on there. And um, yeah, I I would look down and quite dangerously, I think, look at my laptop for long periods of time while driving as Autoroute updated. It wasn't made to be a satellite navigation system in that way. It was just here's a map and here's a dot moving along where you are. Um, But, you know, it gave me the reassurance to know that I was going in the right direction. But I would still carry a map and I would still carry a printout. It was just a, a nice electric gadget. And I was reminded of Autoroute recently when I was playing with the FM Town's Car Marty. I don't know if you saw that video on the channel. That was a Japanese console designed to be mounted in a car, and it did have a GPS add-on, and it did have route planning software the same year as this piece of Amstrad software, 1994, albeit with um, a 386 processor, so it had a little bit more power to work with than the Amstrad, and a CD-ROM as well for its storage, so not limited to 128K. But uh, yeah, it was great. M- much like mobile phone technology, I think we could easily see the application of this software when we first saw it and thought, okay, why didn't this exist before? This is definitely a thing that can evolve and make our lives better. And then it made that jump from the standalone type software. Um, it, it stopped being something that you just did at a desktop computer and printed out into being this um, online app. And I travel everywhere now. Another reason why I have to have a smartphone and I had to ditch the 3110 using Google Maps and Apple CarPlay. Um, and the, the killer app about this now, we've gone beyond simple um, directions. It's the traffic updates. It's the roadwork updates. It's the accidents that automatically reroute you to a faster route if a, a road has been blocked up or congested. So that is that is the it's probably the one of the single pieces of tech that I use in my modern life that genuinely improves my life. <laughs> genuinely. <laughs> um, and I can't say that about a lot of technology, particularly technology on mobile phones that just seem to want to compete for my time or take my money. This is a genuinely a genuine killer app, I think. so, And, and that's all stemmed from the work that was done with Autoroute and those other systems over mm. the decades. So those are my thoughts. Did I beat the CPC or did it render? You did beat a CPC. (laughs) (laughs) Is is Neil faster than the CPC? Yes. 
slightly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I totally agree go. with what you said there, Neil. I've I've thought about ditching the smartphone for that free time, and it's always GPS that I come back to. Like seriously, I live by mm-hmm. it, and 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 those traffic updates, like you said, and and not funnily just driving, enough, um, not just driving, walking through town to find a shop. Now you just hold, oh yeah, totally. Pull your phone around so that it's properly oriented, and then yep. like okay, where's where's the directions to? Woolworths. Yep. <laughs> Our price. Even mountain biking lost <laughs> out in the bush and, and about to die. Um, whip out your phone, and if you're lucky, it'll save you. Um, yeah, and and I'm, I'm so glad. Bush. I mean, at the time of putting this story in the notes, I had no idea what Neil was going to cover this week. And, of course, he covered the 50 years of the mobile phone, and it's, it's a really nice bookend, I think, to this. Because I, I do recall yeah. back in 1998 having a discussion with my then boss. We were sitting in a, either an airport or Eurostar lounge, and I was just discussing where technology is going. And I remember saying the words, one day our phones will have GPS in them. And, you know, clearly that's that's where we've ended up and it's just an integral part of our lives. Um, in the early 2000s, I had a PDA, you know, you know before getting a decent mobile phone uh, with a GPS adapter shoved in the top with a pirated copy of TomTom um, and pirated <laughs> copy of, of the per- maps of Perth. And, and that felt Jill. absolutely fine. Sorry, what was that, Dave? Jill. Straight to jail. Yeah, that's where it took me every day. Um, But um, and and you know, I I do also recall you know having the 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 preset, the preloaded GPSs in your cars, and you know, and that felt so luxury. That almost felt James Bond if you had a screen in your car in the dash built in. But of course, there was no update. There was no traffic updates, and there was not not even map updates. You know, if the if the roads changed, then you need to to fork out for the. the latest yeah, version of the Mac. Two hundred pounds for a CD to update it, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't give up my Google Maps for anything, uh, but I do thank Sybil for sharing this story with us because it actually brings back some fantastic memories of Auto Route for me. Time now for our community question of the week. Now, last week's question was all about your laws for retro collecting. What is your law for retro collecting? Is there a rule that you strictly adhere to when it comes to making your retro purchases? Let us know and maybe help to guide others. Now, I remember last week we had to press a button before we read the answers, didn't we, to close off the question of the week and get them in the right order. Has anyone pressed that button? I didn't press that. It doesn't need to be pressed. This week doesn't need in, to be pressed. They're, they're in, yeah, they're in the right order, order by best, which is fine. Perfect. Fine. So I'm happy to read the top one out, which is from our good friend Richard Shears, who has an avatar of Elmo with um, an R logo badge on, and he's actually sat right behind me, just there in the apple crate behind me. I don't know if you can see him, but there's what, Rich very is? same Elmo. Richard's Rich. sat there on the top shelf, <laughs> and I just give him a laptop, and he submits his answers. So he says, my law is a bit corny, I'm afraid, but here's, here goes. The quality of a product is equal to the quality of its sponsor. No, wait, that can't be right. Pixel Addict is amazing. Hey, can you put a, like, a little drum in there, please, Duncan? Uh, he says, okay, setting aside my poor, poor humor moment. Being kind and respectful to others is reflected back equally. I distinctly remember a lovely teacher, Mr. Pepper, thank you, saying to me that you should treat others how you would like to be treated. Young, innocent me took that to heart, and it was really, it really has been something I believe in and try my best to follow. Yes, there's always exceptions, but I found that in general it has been 100% true. How this links to retro purchases can be found over on the RMC Discord, where I'm treated warmly and respectfully. And when I've required parts for a retro build or advice on repair, I've been astounded by the generosity. Sorry again for such a corny answer, but it's my honest answer. It's longer than ideal. And that's what, and that's with me editing down to try and be brief. So, 
that's a really nice rule from Richard. Basically, treat people with respect and they will respect you in return. And um, I think I would add to that, if they don't, then don't waste your time on those people. Surround yourself with lovely people who respect you in the way that you respect them. And you can really enjoy this hobby and beyond in life. Good, good, wise words to live by, Richard. Could I jump in with Generation Pixels? Because <laughs> I love his answer. So second down, Generation Pixel. Pixels Law. For every passionate collector, there are four dastardly scalping flippers that increase the price tenfold. Oh, yeah. That's true with that. <laughs> Love it. Not for for every Richard, there are four dastardly flippers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Dave, do you want to read the next one? Sure. Rowan Forrest says, My spouse wrote my law for retro collecting, and it goes like this. Buying old hardware is not allowed, but emulation is fine. <laughs> That's a hard law. Nice. Um, yeah. Lawyer up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Al, can you actually, see the answers here? Did you want to read the next one? Actually, Dave, you better read the next one because it mentions the ST. Oh. Oh, yeah. Control-Alt-Reese, my friend. Control-Alt-Reese has got Reese's Law, and I really do agree with it. Every time you mention the Atari ST online, an Amiga owner will appear and comment. <laughs> the number of Amiga-related comments increases exponentially with every subsequent mention. Yes, Reese. Yes. To which, to which Rowan Forrest has replied on the thread, the Amiga had way better graphics, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's making... He's, it's a parody. I know, I know, I know. He's, he's jokingly making the point, but he makes it very well. <laughs> um, and there are some other great answers. The bigger the collection... Uh, the bigger the collection is inverse, inversely proportional to the amount of time you actually have to play the games from Mega Nigel. Um Oh, what else? Retro gaming items listed on eBay as rare are the most abundant things in the universe. <laughs> tell you always a good one. Yeah, yeah this don't, is... tell, don't tell the wife comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, that one's in there. <laughs> yeah. Made easy. <laughs> and um, Tally Ho, probably one of my favourites. Uh, I will have every cable invented for every system ever made, except the one I need right now. Mm. That's Tally Ho's law. Very yeah. true. And that brings us on to this week's question of the week. You can participate and you can also submit stories for our consideration at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. You can join our Discord server, discord.gg forward slash RMC retro. And as we mentioned earlier, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com or patreon.com, as Dave likes to say, forward slash this week in retro. And Dave, what's our question of the week this week? What is the newest item that you can think of? What's the newest thing that you can still honestly describe as retro? Mm, the newest retro. Short, specific, difficult. I have to think about that one. Um, as always, Al, thank you so much for joining us today. You can find a link to Zypho in the show notes on YouTube, on Twitch. Are you anywhere else? You're on Twitter as well. I'm on Twitter. There's a Facebook page. Yeah, OnlyFans. Patreon. <laughs> I think you to say only Ewoks then. <laughs> I was so glad you didn't. We'll get all the links Ewoks, in the but... show notes to, to go and follow. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time to listen or watch. Please take a moment to subscribe, thumbs up, leave a review, all that good stuff. And we'll see you next week for your Saturday morning bowl of cereal. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agima, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.